The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For to the one who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened for them. For which of you... If your son asks you for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I want to pray better. I want to pray better, more vibrantly, more often, more joyfully, and with more faith. I want to pray better, and I bet you do too. As Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. But if we're honest... When it comes to prayer, many Christians are functional agnostics. What I mean by that is we pray. We know we're supposed to pray, but we are confused by prayer. We misunderstand what prayer is all about. We're not sure how prayer works, if it works at all. We certainly don't always understand the sense of God's sovereignty and my prayers as if God knows everything. Why does he need me to tell him about his universe? And not to mention the question of seemingly unanswered prayers. The questions go on and on. It's like the family that gathers together uh, for a meal. Multiple generations are there, right? And one of the young children gets asked to offer the grace. And so he's saying grace, but he's saying it really loudly. He's shouting out the grace. Dear God, thank you for the food and bless the food and bless our family and give me a bike. And his mother leans over and whispers and says, you know, son, God doesn't need you to shout to hear you. And he said, oh, I know, but grandma does. (laughs) I mean, what do we really believe about prayer? Do we believe prayer works? In, In Luke chapter 11, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And when they say that to him, they're not saying, just teach us some words to pray. They're saying, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us how we can have the same kind of vitality of prayer life that we see in your prayer life. You see, the disciples had only been walking with Jesus for a time, but they already knew. Anyone who got close to Jesus knew that you could not separate his vibrant ministry from his vibrant prayer life. The two were mixed together. His vibrant ministry was rooted in his vibrant prayer life with his father. As Tim Keller writes in his book on prayer, he says, Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers. He denounced the corruption of temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer and insisted that some demons could be cast out only through prayer. He prayed often and regularly and with fervent cries and tears, sometimes all night. 
The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying, and he was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so in prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and for the church on the night before he died, and then praying to God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and finally he died praying. I want to pray like that. I want that quality and vitality and vibrancy and centrality of prayer to run through my life. I find myself praying those same words, beseeching Jesus with those same words from the disciples all the time. Lord, teach me to pray like you pray. And when we ask that question, the same answer is today as it was 2,000 years ago. Christians throughout the ages who ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, get the same answer. He says to them, when you pray, pray like this. You know what he says next. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, just as a side note, people have asked me in every church I've ever served in, why do you keep using that traditional language version of the Lord's Prayer? You know, our Father who art in heaven, right? Why not use the contemporary language version? All the rest of the liturgy is contemporary, and my answer is always the same. That when someone walks in the doors of a church, we don't know where they're coming from. They may be coming in the doors of the church from another church. They may have not been to church for decades. They may never have been in church before, but many of those people who walk through that door, they know one prayer and they know it in that form. And it begins, our Father who art in heaven. They know that prayer. Their grandmother taught it to them, perhaps. They learned it in school. They learned it somewhere in church, but they know that prayer. How inhospitable would it be for us to invite newcomers into our midst and have them sit down, and when they get to that place in the liturgy where they say, oh, this is the one I know, then they say, oh, and they updated and changed that one too. We know this prayer. Many of us pray it daily, but do we really know this prayer? Do we understand what Jesus means? These 57 words in Matthew's Greek version, 57 words that will change our lives and by extension will change the world if we enter into these words. And so for Lent, we are walking through the Lord's Prayer together on Sundays. Petition by petition, five weeks in a row. And what's we're going to do with that is to open up each of these petitions. We're going to look at another text of scripture that further unpacks what Jesus is saying in that petition to really understand what he means when he's teaching us to pray like this. But not only that, we'll also try to address each week at least one question, one common question 
that people have about prayer. You can see that from the front of the bulletin, right? Today, we're looking at the phrase, as the prayer begins, our Father who art in heaven. And as we open this up, looking in Matthew chapter 7, that's our text today. We're going to unpack this first phrase, Matthew 7. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 7, verse 7. We'll be unpacking also the question, why does God hear us? I mean, why would God listen to us in the first place when we pray? Well, we'll understand in this text from Jesus, just the next page over, the next chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, we're going to learn that praying our Father who art in heaven means that we are praying as adopted children. Not just children, adopted children. We'll come back to that. But not just adopted children, we're adored children. It's not enough to know that God has adopted us, but do we know that he adores us and how that plays into our prayer life? But not only adopted children and adored children, but we'll unpack the reality that in this phrase, our Father who art in heaven, it means that we are adopted, adored children who have access to him. We have access to him and the whole throne room of heaven. And this is why he will hear us when we pray. So first, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, we are praying as adopted children. See, verse 11 in our text here in Matthew 7 says, your Father in heaven. It's specific, your Father in heaven. Now, this means that you and I, Jesus is declaring, are children of God. It's just like what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. That the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, right? We are God's children. That's what it means to have God as Father. Father is not a metaphor, right? It's not kind of, he's kind of like a father to us. No, Father means relationship. He is Father to us. But let's be careful that we don't run too fast and just go, oh, great, he's our father. We're children, carry on. Because if we don't recognize the fact that the relationship of father and son, father and daughter that he's made with us is an adoption relationship, if we miss the adoption piece, we miss the gospel. We miss the grace. Here's why. If I was to give everyone a pop quiz right now and say, all right, theology 101, Bible 101, how does a person become a child of God? Many will say, who are students of scripture, will say, well, we're born to be children of God. We get created. God made us right in Genesis 1. We're children of God. That's not accurate. See, we'll look at this in more detail next week, but Genesis 1 tells us this amazing glorifying thing that we are made in the image of God. We have incredible dignity as creatures who are made in the image of God. We are made with a purpose but we're not made as children. We're creatures. But it is only through Jesus that we become children. Childhood in the kingdom of God is a gift, something that becomes our reality. Galatians chapter 4, Paul unpacks further what he says in our passage from Romans 8 today about calling God Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, verse 4, we read these words. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive 
adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. You see, it's vital that we understand that God has made us his sons and daughters by adoption. It's vital we understand that because we were not made children. He chose us. He chose us in grace. As Dr. J.I. Packer, one of the greatest Anglican theologians alive today, well, let's just strike Anglican, one of the greatest theologians living today, as he would say again and again when he was teaching us as students at Regent College, he would say, you've got to understand that the relationship between you and the Father is one of adoption. Understand how vital adoption is. Paul is very specific with this language because in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, adoption happened all the time, right? If you were a person, a man of of, of good standing, of of good fortune in the community, and you had no children, no sons, or, or you had worthless sons, you would go into the community and you'd find a young man of good character. And you would say, I'm going to adopt you legally as my son, And when you adopted them legally, they took your name, they would carry on your business, they would carry on your legacy, they were in every way truly your adopted son. This act of grabbing a good young man of good character and making him your adopted son, it happened all the time. But then Packer says this, but St. Paul, however, proclaims God's gracious adoption of persons of bad character to become his children, to become heirs of God to become co-heirs with Christ. God came to you and me, not all the good people that are apparently out there somewhere. He came to us, broken, miserable as we are, and said, I'm going to choose you in love. I'm going to make you my child. I'm going to adopt you. As my brother, my youngest brother, Philip, the youngest of three boys, I'm the eldest, Philip is adopted. He was adopted as a baby by my parents. And he loves to remind us My brother Patrick and I, Philip loves to tell us that mom and dad are stuck with you, but they chose me. (laughs) See, we aren't born children of God. We become children of God by his gracious adoption. As John chapter one says, those who believed in him, that is Jesus, who called on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is why God hears us. When we pray these words, our Father who art in heaven, the reason God hears us is because he's adopted us as his sons and daughters. So linger on those words every time you pray that prayer. Don't run past that phrase. Linger there. Linger on those words of chosen adoptive grace. Because if you don't linger, if you don't remember the adopted nature that's behind those words, our Father who art in heaven, you will not realize that everything that comes next is all based on grace. Your whole prayer life has a foundation of grace because we pray our Father who art in heaven. But see, it's not just that he's adopted us as his children. When we pray our Father who art in heaven, we're also praying as adored children, children that God actually loves and adores. See, verses 9 and 10, if you're looking with me, you see Jesus asks this question. He says, which one of you, if his son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now, what Jesus is doing there is he's asking a rhetorical question, right? The answer is supposed to be 
No one would do that, right? No father would do that, right? Even, even the worst fathers out there would know better than that. At least no father should do that. And immediately that's where we come to the problem, don't we? See, as we begin to use language of the fatherhood of God, one of the immediate problems we have is that there are many of us who have lived under very, very imperfect fathers in this world. I mean, every father is imperfect, but some are more imperfect than others, it would seem. There's much abuse and much brokenness and many wounds attached to the language of fatherhood. In this broken world of imperfect fathers, it's not enough to say God is our father. We have to say, what kind of father? What kind of father is he? See, verse 11, Jesus is specific. He says, your father in heaven, right? That's that line of the opening words of this prayer. Our father who art in heaven. Those are location words. Those are differentiating words. Those are distinguishing words. Those are words that are to say, this father is in heaven, unique, different than any father you know. He says as well in verse 11, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good things to those who ask him? I know it's sometimes hard to hear Jesus say, you know, you who are evil, but it is the season of Lent, so let's get used to being told that we're sinners, Right? But it's true, we're broken, we're imperfect. If you who are broken and imperfect know how to give good gifts, he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things? See, what Jesus is doing again and again in the gospel is he's showing us the Father. He's revealing to us the Father. And as we meet this one who we call the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he invites us to call Father now, we find a wholly different kind of father. A father who is always so much more than the earthly fathers we have. As Romans 8.31 says, he, as in the father, he who did not spare his eternal son, but gave him up for all of us, his adopted sons and daughters. Will he not give us everything else? This is what love looks like. As we look to the cross of Christ, we see what it looks like to have a father who will never abandon us, who will never abuse us, who will give us everything we need in love. A father who truly adores us. Our father in heaven begins to redeem for us the picture of fatherhood. You know that song? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. For you are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Now, let's be clear. That song is so popular not because of the melody line. Like, seriously, Chris Tomlin, I mean, the man normally just adds a chorus to an old hymn and sells a million records. But here's a guy who, you know, takes a very amelodic, not very interesting song and makes it hugely popular. Why? Because of what the song is saying, that we are desperate to hear that we would have a good father in heaven. 
And this is who Jesus reveals to us, that we have a good father in heaven who adores us. As 1 John 3 says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. This is why he hears us. Not just because he's adopted us as his children, but because he adores us. He loves to hear the prayers of his children. But again, not only is Jesus teaching us in this phrase, our Father who art in heaven, that we are praying as those who are adopted children and those who are adored children, but he's teaching us that as we pray these words, our Father who art in heaven, that we are praying as children who have access, full access to the Father, full access to God, full access to the throne room of heaven. Again, in our text, verses 7 and 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For to the one who asks, receives, and to the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, of course, this verse can create lots of problems in the question of unanswered prayer, right? What about those times I've asked and I've sought and I've knocked and knocked and knocked and it doesn't seem to open, and that question of seemingly unanswered prayer, you're going to have to wait a couple weeks till we get there. But for now, ask, seek, knock. These active asking verbs, they're ultimately about utilizing the access that we've been given. Utilizing the privilege of access we've been given. Do we utilize the access to God that we've been given? Do we really utilize it? As Ephesians chapter 2 says, for through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access to God. One of the favorite things for me when I was little, I remember being a small child, and by the time I was about 10 years old, I could go down to visit my dad at his office. Downtown, my dad was a senior partner at a big law firm right downtown, Victoria, British Columbia, on the west coast of Canada. And I'd take the bus downtown and I'd go in the building and you know, take the elevator right to the top. And that, that, that top floor, the elevator doors opened and the whole floor was the office and, and there was this army of secretaries, this, this army of gatekeepers and you could not get through that army. I mean, whoever you were, whether you were the mayor or the prime minister, they wanted to know why you were there and who you were there to see and they'd escort you into the waiting room. There was this army of gatekeepers and this 10-year-old boy would have the elevator doors open and I'd walk right through the secretaries. Nobody stopped me. I went into the break room. I grabbed snacks. I did horrible things with the photocopier. I went wherever I wanted. And I'd go straight into my dad's office. Why? Because I was so important? Because I was such a good person? Because everybody knew what a great guy I was? No, they knew that I was the son of Mike Donison. They knew that he was my father. And therefore, I had full access. Full, full access as a son. But do we pray like we have that kind of access? Do we live into this incredible access we have as children of God? And let's just remember that that access came at a great cost. To, to have access to the Father like this cost Jesus everything. 
Because ultimately the full declaration that this access for us had been won was on Easter morning. It was in that garden on Easter morning after Jesus had borne the sins of humanity on the cross, died, gone to hell in our place, broken the chains of death, risen from the grave. He's standing there in the garden with Mary Magdalene and he's sending her back to the disciples, those betraying, broken, backstabbing, runaway disciples. And what does he say? Because of his death and resurrection, he says to Mary Magdalene, he says, go to my brother's, Brothers, yes, brothers, and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What Jesus is declaring on that Easter morning is that because of his victory, because of his death and resurrection, which we celebrate at this table every time we gather, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this has won for us a new relationship with the Father for those of us who come to him in faith. That we now have him as Father just as Jesus has him as Father, and we have access like Jesus has access to the throne room of his Father. And this is why he hears us. Because he gives his kids access. The only one that can wake up, the only one that can wake up the emperor at three in the morning is his child. And that's what we are. Now the question is, do we pray though like we're adopted, adored, and have full access? Do we pray like this? Do we bring all of our needs and our desires and our concerns, our whole heart to God. I want to close with a hockey story. So on Thursday night, Monica and I and a couple of the girls were out at a game and I got to see something live in the arena that I had never seen live in the arena. I saw Alexander Radulov of the Dallas Stars score a hat trick. Now, a hat trick is when one player scores three goals in a game. I can't believe I have to explain this to all of you. <laughs> one player, three goals, same game. I've seen it many times on television. I've never been in the arena when it happens. I was so excited. But not to steal Radulov's thunder, but after you know, more than a decade of playing NHL hockey, he scored his first career hat trick. And I immediately thought, to take no thunder from him, but I immediately thought of Wayne Gretzky, who I watched all through my youth playing hockey. And Wayne Gretzky, who in his career scored 50 hat tricks. 50 hat tricks. 37 of those hat tricks were three goal games. Nine of those hat tricks were four goal games for him, four goals in one game, and once he scored it all in one period. And then four of those were five goal hat trick games. And here's how it relates to prayer. Because Gretzky said of his career, an incredible career, he said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. In our prayer life, how many shots are we not taking? How many things are we not bringing to God? In the season of Lent, as we go through this 40 days of prayer, 
as we walk through the Lord's Prayer, would you consider five areas of your life, five things that maybe you haven't been fervently and passionately and daily praying for? Maybe you prayed for them a long time ago, but stop. Maybe you've never prayed for them before. But find those five things and begin praying for them daily. Let us not forget to take the shots. I want to pray better. I want to pray more vibrantly, more often, more joyfully, with more faith. And I bet you want that too. Then we need to learn, really learn this prayer. And we need to practice and pray, really practice and pray this prayer. We need to believe, really believe the content of this prayer. God hears us because he's adopted us as his children. God hears us because he adores us as his children. And God hears us when we pray because we are adopted, adored children who have full access to him. God hears us when we pray because he is our father who art in heaven. Lord, teach us to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.